0: If you know who's talking to you and, and who's bringing the word, it, it might help us understand what they're trying to say. Do you guys follow that? Do you think that's true? Maybe if, if there's a message or there's a, a book that's written, and if, if you're going to write a book about um, if weightlifting, and let's say you wanted to read a really good book about weightlifting and nutrition, and I wrote it, how many of you guys are going to read it, right? This dude don't know nothing about weightlifting or nutrition. Um, we're, we're we're not gonna not gonna read his book. So it's it's kind of important to to know and to to feel like the author or the person that you're you're gonna kind of engage in this conversation with has some knowledge of the subject. So so that's kind of the heart today is is for us to get to know this guy named John. Now, now, last week, we already started this. If you were here last week, we looked at him um, as the author of the Gospel of John. And we know, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the John. That's this John that, we're, that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also is the Revelator, or, or, or the um, Pastor John, as we called him, as we read through, um, as we studied through the book of Revelation. So he wrote five books in the New Testament, which is a pretty huge feat in itself. So, so John, the revelator, is, he was the youngest of the disciples that was called. He was just like a little hipster, and, um, and, and when he first got called, and he was there working for his father, mending the nets, and Jesus came and called him. But, but that's not where he is today. And he goes through this kind of redirection in his life as Jesus finds him kind of broken and with some bad attitudes and kind of like a, I don't know, an all-in guy, maybe like some of us and, you know, no kind of dimmer switch type of guy, just just all in, kind of harsh, kind of thinking about himself, kind of a go-getter. And and you see where he was as young man and and the apostle that, that Jesus called to where he becomes the apostle of love. And when he describes himself in the, in the gospel of John, he just says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now I don't know, maybe that sounds like a boast, right? Like, yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And he just keeps calling himself that, and he wrote it. But, but I think in humility, he didn't even name himself. He just said the one whom Jesus loved. And, and that's really the distinction that, that John, old man John, as we're going to call him through this series, because when he wrote first John, now he's a gray-haired grandpa. He's bringing some wisdom from the from the old school, you know, and, and, and that's where we get 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is from old man John, who's already taken his lumps. He's already learned. He's already spent this valuable time in his life where you and I are today being redirected by Jesus. And we find comfort in seeing where John blew it over and over again. And, and so where we're going to get to today, and as we get to this, I want to just kind of, tell you what I think the heart of First John is and where I'm coming from with this series. The The heart of 1 John is this. First of all, we, we get this theme throughout the New Testament. and I'm just going to clue you in on it. You won't have to study the whole New Testament for yourself and find it. I'm just going to give it to you for free today. I'm giving you that for free. We're giving you a free women's retreat and we're doing your kids homework. The only way we could get better is if next week I serve popcorn. We talked about that last week. So there, there is this theme throughout the New Testament of the redemption of Jesus Christ in your life and my life. This idea that God came down to forgive us of our sins. Every sermon that Paul preaches, go find one where he doesn't, you'll find one. Every sermon that Paul preaches through the New Testament, the central theme of Paul's preaching is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that affects our lives today. There's one sermon Paul doesn't mention the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they stoned him when he was done. So that's probably a good reason that you want to have that as a central theme. And, and that's, that is central to our Christianity. And if you call yourself a, a Christ follower, a, a, if you call yourself a Christian, then, then central to our theme is redemption and that Jesus redeemed us. I, I shared on Wednesday and I share this all the time. You you have Number one need in your life And if I ask you what is your Number one need usually the Answer I get is oxygen That's pretty good you, you need that you ain't Going to live long without it But really be, before that the number One need that you have In this life is redemption or forgiveness of Your sins that's man's number One need is redemption thank you Pastor Chuck he taught us that Number two is oxygen Number three is food and water but, but even before those is this idea of redemption. And, and here, old man John, he's coming to us with this idea. And this is how he flips it on us. And he, and he, and he kind of is going to flip the script just a little bit. And not going to dis, dim, diminish the idea of redemption as a central theme. As the fact that you need a Savior and that you've been redeemed and forgiven of your sins. But John's going to say this. Hey, check it out. We're not talking about um, just the fact that you've been redeemed. He he says, since you have been redeemed, don't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to meet? Wouldn't you want to thank? Wouldn't you want to have a relationship with the God who came down and redeemed you? Wouldn't you want to be a friend of Jesus? And and that redemption in John's life is what fuels the friendship with Jesus. Amen. Hope you guys heard that because I was preaching, brother. That was deep. This idea of redemption fuels, it brings a, 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 a desire for us to want to know the one who redeemed us. Jesus came. And yeah, you know, we, we can get stuck. And I think that, you know, we get stuck in our Christianity. And, you know, here in Calvary Chapel, we, we pride ourselves on, on, on knowing the word and being theologically and doctrinally sound. And that's important. But but if we get lost in that, Paul says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And knowledge becomes destructive. And and and, and, and you know what's happened in, in the pursuit of knowledge? You know, you listen to any, any pastor, really, they'll, they'll joke and they'll call seminary, which is the, the highest learning for studying the Bible, we'll call it cemetery. You ever heard a pastor refer to seminary as cemetery? And it's true because unfortunately for so many and in so many schools... Where where the pursuit of knowledge has got to the fact where you just keep going and going and going that you're in this seminary that so many of the professors aren't even born again. And learning has taken the place and knowledge has taken the place of relationship with, with the God who redeemed you. With a friendship, a simple friendship with Jesus and with all this head knowledge without wisdom, it's good for nothing. That's why does, does, does the apostle Paul say that if you have all knowledge and all love, he says, if, he said, man, if you're like an angel and yet you have not love, you have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, you don't want me to go there and clang on those cymbals. I wish I had one closer because I would. It's not pleasant. That's what you sound like. That's what you are without without this concept of friendship with jesus and love and so that's how old man john is is going to hit us in this in this epistle you know and the interesting thing is now don't quote me on this stuff because I, actually you won't know the difference anyways i could just make it up and it, it would work but th- there's something like five thousand four hundred vocabulary words that are used in the new testament in in first john he only uses like 305 different vocabulary words he, he's not trying to impress you with his knowledge and his wisdom. And the theme of love and love one another is repeated so many times that, that oftentimes you're not sure if, if you already read that or not. You're like, didn't I just read that? Then you back up a little bit. Oh, no, it's there again. And you find this theme over and over again. Love, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Repeated over and over and over again in First John. Now, because we're not going to get too far into 1 John this morning, this is just going to be the intro. I want to give you guys a prescription. Now, don't trip. This is a prescription from your pastor. It's a good one. It's healthy for you. But I would like for you to read 1 John, the entire book. There's five chapters. It'll take you a whole of 15 minutes of your life. I'd like for you to read it five times this coming week. Are you guys in? If you're not, just lie to me. Yeah, I'll do it. Just go for it. It's okay. I, I gave him permission on Wednesday night to lie. I even made the sign of the cross. If somebody asks you how you're doing, it's okay to say, I'm well. And smile. It's cool. You can do that. Um, so read the book of John five times. First John, five times this week before you come back. Next week, we're going to start breaking down. We're going to go through chapter by chapter as we look into what John said. We're going to highlight some of it this week. But we're going to meet this friend of, of Jesus first. Um, let's let's go to Apple TV, Bry, and uh, I'll let you guys see my notes. I know you like that cool picture up there, but that I made for you. But I'm gonna. This will hopefully help keep you guys from sleeping too too fast. Jesus is your friend. Have you guys ever heard someone say or seen it on a T-shirt? Jesus is my homeboy. I, I have a pastor friend and. He's a pastor of a large church and and he wore a t-shirt on stage and it said, Jesus is my homeboy and it's got this little like cholo looking Jesus. Have you guys seen cholo fit on, on Facebook this week? Cholo fit is pretty funny, but anyways. It, and this idea, and later he 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 basically had to repent and, 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 and really the reality is, and when you see that, yeah, it's kind of cute for a minute, but when you think about it, the reality is Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is, is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. Jesus is a, is, a, is a star-breathing God who died on a cross for your sins and deserves all reverence and respect and love and sincerity. Now, now yes, Jesus calls you in this amazing grace and love and and plan of god a friend now just just let it soak in you don't, you don't got to deserve you don't got to earn it you can't you don't have to deserve it you don't you just have to receive it a, that jesus wants to be and has called you a friend and i'll show you exactly in the bible multiple places where jesus wants to be and god wants to be a friend with you and me but but he's not our homeboy it's not that kind of friendship it's intimacy it's personal, it's, it's real, but it's God. The Bible says that that all things were created by Him, in Him, and through Him, talking about Jesus. There, there's one star in our galaxy, it's called Betelgeuse. It's not the largest star in our galaxy, there's two that are bigger. But in Betelgeuse, you can take the sun and the earth, and the earth can rotate on its axis around the sun still have a hundred million miles of space on the outside of the earth left over. This is one star in our galaxy. And it's in orbit. It's in motion. It's moving. Do you know something? There was a force that set that whole thing in motion? That started that thing moving? You know what it was? What does the Bible say it was? The Bible tells you specifically what it was. It says the finger of God. What? what god's finger god's finger started beetle Geese in motion and the other two that are bigger that that's that's not your homeboy he's your friend he he loves you he cares for you he wants to know you but it's it's kind of mind blowing that that he wants to be your friend and that we have this example of this guy named John who was the best friend of Jesus and so we we get to see that, and then it says, "So, who who are your best friends? What is a, what is a friend to you? How, how do you qualify a friend? And how do you how do you relate closeness?" I was gonna I was gonna give an example, and I was gonna have somebody come stand on this side of the stage, and somebody come stand on this side of the stage, and then I was gonna ask you guys, "Who am I closer to?" Like, so you could get this idea of what it is to be close to somebody. So, so to be close to to Jesus you know there there's there's an intimacy now in your life practically when you when you need a favor who do you call you call you call a bestie you call a friend who do you who do you call when um you need a babysitter who do you call when you need to borrow some money who who are the people that are closest in your life and do we have this this intimacy or this closest closeness with Jesus and so John the best friend of Jesus when he walked here on the earth now you think of couple other greats in the bible there's a really cool tool i'm gonna again i'm giving you guys all kinds of free seminary uh classes here today in church but here's the next one for bible study if you want to do a study and 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 just really study the word one of the things i do oftentimes is i'm I'm thinking about i'm kind of studying this week and i'm preparing for this idea that john was jesus's friend And so I I have this tool. You guys can all get one. It's called a concordance. Blue Letter Bible has a great app that you can put on your phone. And it has this tool, and you type in any word that you want into the concordance, into this little box, and you hit go. And it brings up every place in the Bible, every verse where that word is found. So whenever you want to study an idea or a concept, I did another one we'll talk about later in the study on the word joy or rejoice because I was looking for areas where examples of joy or rejoice. But when when I typed in this word friend, I, I came to this realization as I read through the verses in the Bible that say friend that this idea that Jesus and God wants to be your friend, it's not new. John wasn't the first one. It's not just a New Testament theme. Really, all the greats of, of the Bible were friends of Jesus, were friends of God. You know, sometimes we have this idea that God is somehow different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. Is it the same God of the New and the, Te- in the Old Testament? What's the Bible say? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we don't, we don't, there's not two gods. There's not a different personality. God didn't, God's personality and God's heart for you and me didn't change when Jesus died on the cross. His heart for Adam, you know what it says about God and Adam? It says they walked in the garden in the cool of the day. What do you think that was like? Yeah. And then then there was a friendship. There was a fellowship. God's heart all the way through. You, you see in the New Testament where, where Jesus says the number one commandment, and we get the grace, and we get love in the New Testament. You think, wow, that's a New Testament concept. And, and, and then you go to the Old Testament, and you find the same exact commandment of God was the number one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy six four, the Great Shema, 4, six, Same thing, Old New Testament, same God. God walked with Enoch. And God had a friendship with Enoch. And what does the Bible say? God, um, God walked with Enoch, and Enoch was not because God took him. So you get this picture of God hanging out with this guy named Enoch in the Old Testament. And, and they just got closer and closer and hung out. And, and God just walked with him. And one day God just said, hey, Enoch, you're coming to my house. I, I'm, I'm having a good time coming down here and hanging out with you. But man, we, we are so close. You're just going to come home with me today. Let's just go home, and you just come to my house today. The Bible says of Abraham... And I like it because this one actually gets the official tag. In the Old Testament it tells us in Second in Chronicles, and in the New Testament, it tells us in James in two twenty three that Abraham had the specific distinction of being the friend of God. It says in second in, in chronicles, Art are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And then in the New Testament, James says the same thing. And he says that Abraham was called the friend of God. Somebody say amen. So, as we go on, we see King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know the Bible has volumes to say about this guy, David? David, to this day, the Jews who even don't receive or believe Jesus, the title for Jesus in Israel and at the time that he walked was son of David. Because there was this concept that David was a literal and a physical father to Jesus, and he was as a descendant of Jesus, as an ancestor, I should say, to Jesus, and he he was a man after God's own heart. And and it speaks of relationship; it speaks of intimacy with God. And then you go on, and you see Moses, and the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a man, and that, that that there was a friendship. And I, I don't know you guys, I don't know about you, but what what i'm what I picture in all this and I, I i I see God's heart of of friendship, of compassion that that God, yeah, he's God, and he could entertain himself with who knows what I mean he could create I don't know what he could do if I was God but he's chosen this this relationship, and the purpose that he created you and I was for fellowship is what the Bible says. And, and I see and I sense in all of these pictures and these stories a sincerity of God's heart that God wants to have fellowship with His people. He wants to know you intimately and personally. Why? And, and how do we know? Well, look at all these examples over and over again. This great cloud of witnesses that God lays out where He, he has and enjoys fellowship with them. In Exodus 33, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as Moses speaks to a friend. The Bible paints such an amazing picture with the friendship of God. So what about us? What about you and me? Is that, is that stuff, well, it's good for Moses and Abraham and David and Enoch and Adam and Paul and John, but God's not concerned with me. God doesn't care about people in Tooele. He might about people in Seattle or Chicago or something, but not Tooele. Maybe Salt Lake, but not Tooele. Is that, is that, No? But maybe just the reality, does God have time? Does God care? What does the Bible say then about me? And I want to tell you, old man John, Grandpa John, he's here to tell you, man, he wants you to experience what he's experienced. He's only going to use 300 words in his epistle because he just wants to get one thing across to you. Love God. Love one another have fellowship with god have fellowship with jesus be a friend of jesus as he was That opportunity exists that opportunity is presented to you One of the, one of my favorite titles for jesus Is friend of sinner the pharisees and the sadducees is is a term that they would use to describe jesus and it wasn't a compliment It was it was it was It was meant to be an insult But for you and I it's a great compliment that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know the people that did not get along with Jesus when he walked on the earth? Was it was it the you know, the average, common, pierced up, tattooed sinner? They got along great with Jesus. It was the religious folks that, that couldn't stand Jesus. It was the self righteous folks that couldn't stand Jesus. It was the rule followers and, and the ones that had to work their way to heaven and and, and the pious people that, that could not get along with Jesus not one time through the entire Gospels of the three years that Jesus walked. So much so that they called him a wine-bibber and a glutton and a friend of sinners. One of my favorite titles of Jesus is that he's a friend. Last week we we went and we unpacked this one and we spent a whole week on it. In John chapter 15... Because as we were introducing John, the the Apostle John, the Revelator, Pastor John, Old Man John, Young Man John, we we started here with the last thing that that, that really Jesus said to him while he walked with him as friends. And Jesus said in John 15, again, we, we unpacked this and studied this last week. Get the tape if you weren't here. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for who? Somebody say, friends. Alright, let's try it again. John fifteen four, you are my Oh, you could do better than that. Friends. You something. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And then in John fifteen, fifteen he said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you for a for all things that heard from my father I made known to you. So this is not something I'm making up today. The idea that there's people that are friends with God is biblical. It's, it's consistent. It's consistent in the Old Testament. It's consistent in the New Testament. And, and, and here we get to hear from the best friend of, of, of Jesus on earth. It says in Proverbs 18, it says, A man who has a friend must himself be friendly. That's a different sermon all in itself. Okay? If you want to have friends, you yourself must be friendly. You guys got that? Sermon's over. Another seminary lesson taught today. Um, The other one is, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know, the reality is sometimes in in our life, the people that sit across the aisle from you here are some of the most generous, some of the most loving, compassionate people. And they oftentimes become closer than our physical brothers because we don't have a connection with our our real brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christ brings a bond and a friendship that's closer than a physical relationship. And here it says that a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that's Jesus. And again, he calls himself a friend. All right, now we're going to spend just a few minutes, and and we're going to get back to that. That was on the idea in the heart that Um, A friend of jesus and jesus wants to be your friend But I want to spend just a little bit and I want to introduce us to john and I want to find Encouragement look at your neighbor and say encouragement Encouragement in the idea that john's life was redirected john's life He he wasn't always this flowery perfect like christian You know, you didn't always just want to kick him because he was more spiritual than everybody else and he had like Closer to in with jesus than anybody else he did john did but he wasn't always that way when we first meet john he's young he's a young man again none of this stuff really matters too much but believe that john was the youngest or one of the youngest disciples when jesus called him possibly you know teenager late teenager he's there he's working for his father he's mending nets so they had been fishing, and one of the things you do when you own a small business is you, you find things to do all the time, family-run business. His father was um, wealthy enough in that society that he had hired servants. So he had people that worked under him and worked for him, so that put gave him a certain status. And Jesus finds him and his brother mending the nets, and he calls these four fishermen that day that, that, that become his disciples. So John starts this journey. He left mending the nets. He left his father's business. And he begins to follow Jesus. And then then we have the first instance. Turn there with me. That's the first place we'll go. Luke chapter 9 in verse 51. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't beat me there. I even got it tabbed. In 951, we get this first kind of story where jesus is going to redirect john's life jesus is going to say john no but let's check it out what where john started and what kind of person he was when jesus first met him and his and his discipling him they begin this three-year journey and it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to jerusalem And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Can you just see John, like, folding his hands, maybe like a little joker laugh? (laughs) Lord, do you want us to call down fire and consume them? You want us to just turn them into crispy critters and we'll sit here and we'll get some popcorn and we'll watch them all burn and die? Like, he's serious. This is what he says. That's, like, what it would have sounded like today. But John seriously asked Jesus, do you want us to kill them all? Am I making this up? Do you guys, you can read it, right? John says, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and kill them all? And Jesus just lovingly redirects him, just like he does in your life and my life. Do you want us to kill him, Lord? They don't, they don't agree with us. Do you, want, do you want us to hate him, Lord? And Jesus said, and when his disciples, said, John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us? And in verse 55, he turned and rebuked them and said, no, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. Listen, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went to another village. What do you think they did when they got to the next village? They began to do the same thing they did in the last village with the John who was a little redirected and a little different. And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy people, you guys. I came to, to, to love people. I came to heal people. I didn't come to destroy life, but to save life. And then we see John like, okay, he's starting to get it, but he hasn't quite got it yet. And then we see this in Mark chapter 9 another example of of John and it says John answered him saying teacher we saw someone who does not follow you casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us so so Jesus we we and again John's like blowing on his on his on his fingernails and rubbing them on his shirt he's like yeah jesus we saw these guys they 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 were preaching they were t- casting out demons in your name but they're not one of us they don't follow us so we we stopped them we stomped them out we we we, we ended it right there jesus don't worry we handled it for you and jesus is like "No, oh, john 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 you don't get it and jesus said in verse 39 of mark chapter 9 and jesus said do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who does not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. One more. Turn the page to Mark 10, 35. This one's a little bit longer, 10 verses, but it's important to, to go through it. And, and so here we see John again, another example of John where he's 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 learning. But he's not who he was as old man John He's not quite the beloved disciple yet He's not quite the the Disciple of love and let us love one another He hasn't quite got there yet And James and John the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying teacher We want you to do for us what do for us whatever we ask So let's let's unpack this. How do you think this really went down? john and james the brother they scheme this little plan and they come up to jesus and say, hey jesus we're, we're going to start this business and we we decided we're going to have you on our team but only if um we we're going to ask you to do something and you, you just do whatever we tell you to do you could be one of ours now you got to catch the comedy in all this because it's like well your kids ever do that to you hey dad dad Dad, i want to ask you something we just say yes oh <laughs> well, well, what is it well just just promise me you'll say yes Mm, no, I'll bust you in your head, but I, will, I won't say yes until you tell me what it is. But they, they come to him and they're like, Hey, just, just do whatever we tell you. Just do whatever we ask. you will be on our team. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your, in, in your glory and in, in, in perfect nacho libro, natural libre accent. Lord, we want to sit in your glory. That's yes, right. that test of the glory, Lord. And, and I'm sure Jesus is just cracking up. But but they're asking him if, if when when they get to the kingdom, can they can they be one on his right hand and one on his left hand in the glory and in and, and this grandeur of self-promotion and who they are? And Jesus says to them, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able? And I'm sure Jesus sobers up by this point. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said to him, Yes, Lord, we are able. And he said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for for those to whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So the other ten found out what was happening and they got all upset. Now, not because they were holier than James and John and just thought this was kind of lame that they were asking this of Jesus. They were mad because they didn't think of it first. They're like, dang, James and John, they got to him first. They asked for the promotion before we could get to him. You know, one of the other gospels tells us in commentary on this little piece right here. Actually, because it says here that James and John asked, but the other place, Matthew tells us that they sent Salome, or they sent their mom to go talk to Jesus and ask him for this favor. Now you lost some serious man points if your mom has to go talk to Jesus for you to get a promotion. Because you, you can't man up and just go ask him. But check it out what Jesus said. Jesus called him to himself. So he got a little private meeting. He said, guys, come here. And now definitely in love and just in teaching, he said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Nope. They're getting upset. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. This radical change of idea, this redirection for John. John says, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, like, we're your guys, man. We're serving you. We're, we're going to help you. We're going to walk with you. It's going to be hard, but we're going to be there. But we just ask that, you know, once you get there, just make us bosses when we get to the kingdom. You know, just make sure we got good chairs and thrones and that we have servants and we just want to make sure we're there with you lord when you get to your kingdom because we're we're your guys and jesus says no you want to be great in the kingdom of god you have to learn to be a servant and and it's so radical for him at the time because they're they're wanting to get away from being servants so they can be great and have servants and jesus says no john you got it backwards You, you want to be great in god's kingdom learn to be a servant And then what does Jesus go on and say? He goes on and says, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave. And that word was not nice. A slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give a ransom for many. And so we have this redirection in the life of John. And now we have him as the apostle of love. We have him as the beloved disciple. When when, when you hear that term, beloved disciple, I don't don't want you to get lost in it. I don't want you to get it twisted because it really is is deep theologically. It really carries uh, more than just that. That that means that Jesus loved John more than the other disciples. He was the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he called himself. You know, in, in James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So, there, there's, there's this concept, biblical concept, that, that God didn't wake up, Jesus didn't wake up, or John just didn't have the coolest kicks and, and have the funniest jokes when they first started hanging out, and Jesus just kind of liked him because he was cooler than the others. Or, or Jesus and God, in his, in his wisdom and his divinity, he didn't just say, I, I picked John. I, I like John more than the others. But eventually, that's what happened. How did that happen? Does God show favoritism? No, not really James, James, as I just just said, right? James said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you So basically god jesus in in this friendship with him He just he he responds to our affection for him And john was all about it, man. John was all in John was laying on the bosom of jesus. He was he was constantly caring about and he was the best friend of jesus He wanted to be with jesus and jesus just responded and met him where he is You know how close you're going to be to jesus? Where do you fit in? You're going to be as close to Jesus as you want to be. You're going to be close to Jesus as you draw near to him. He's going to draw near to you. You know, the Bible says that that God's going to give gifts to the people in this room, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. Which, which one are you going to get? The 30, the 60, or the 100? I'm getting 100. I don't know about the rest of these suckers, but I'm getting 100. Well, what makes you 100? Does God Did, did God wake up one day or did God just kind of cast lots did he make you have a lottery to decide who gets 30 who gets 60 and who gets 100 you decide you decide how close to jesus you want to be you decide how much you want the holy spirit to flow through your life and use you you want just enough fire assurance so you don't have to go to hell you want just enough of jesus so that you can be socially cool and and not be a social outcast or be labeled a jesus freak so that you can still kick it with your friends and not be hated but but you you got enough maybe you grew up with a little jesus you grew up with a little jesus in your house you grew up knowing that jesus is real or true and it just just plagues you enough that you want enough jesus to not go to hell but not enough to change your social structure well I i don't know 30 maybe not even a 30 and that's in that case but, but point being, we this idea of connecting and being friends with Jesus, you have the power. I'm just trying to tell you in, in love, really, that you don't have to feel like you're never going to attain to where John attained to. You're never going to get to where Abraham got to. You, you're just not worthy. You're just not cut out to be David and a man after God's heart. I'm telling you, you are. I'm telling you, you are cut out. You're made of the same material. The Bible tells us this very, very plainly and clearly. It says, Elijah was a man of like passions. Elijah's the guy who his buddy was, was axing by the river with a borrowed ax. The head broke off the ax, went into the water, and the guy was on the side whining. Uh, I borrowed that, man, and it's uh, broken. The guy's going to beat me up. And Elijah said, man, quit whining. Go get your ax head. And he floats the ax head to the top of the water. And he tells the guy to walk out and get the axe head. And these are the kind of power that Elijah has. He tells it to stop raining and it doesn't rain for three years. That's some God power, right? But the Bible says that, that, that Elijah was a person of like passions. What that means is that Elijah wasn't any different makeup than you are. He didn't have any different DNA than you do. Elijah had the opportunity to be close to Jesus. I'm telling you this morning, you have an opportunity to be a friend of Jesus. And I encourage you in, in finding that, man. Letting that drive you. Not letting rules or regulations. Not, let's not let our church experience be about head knowledge or, uh, or about, you know, whether the sermon was good or bad or the worship was good or bad or the aesthetics were good. Let, let, it, let us be driven by a friendship with Jesus. Amen? Don't get excited. That amen don't mean we're done. We're almost done. Almost. Where are we at? A couple things uh, about John that we know. The one whom Jesus loved. John was the first one to arrive to the tomb after the, the, the ladies came back and told him the tomb was empty. He was the one that was laying on Jesus' bosom. Again, it speaks of intimacy. He was the one the other apostles wanted a favor from Jesus. They would go to John. Now, why, why did they go to like, Peter and those guys were like, hey, hey. Go go tell john to ask him if john asks him he'll say yes Maybe maybe one day at my house the boys are going to be like hey go tell gabrielle to ask dad then he'll say yes Maybe that's how it's gonna work But but the disciples understood like john has this like kind of in with jesus So when they want something they, they say hey john you go ask him And then we see that john john was one of the youngest when he was called He was a part of the inner three we know that James, John, and Peter, I, multiple examples. When Jesus went to raise Jairus' daughter, he kicked everybody out, and he only brought in James, John, and Peter into his inner circle when he healed Jairus' daughter. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured and and Moses and Elijah showed up, it was James and John and Peter who were with him. It was James, John, and Peter who were um, in the... Or, or, peter and john who were sent to go find the upper room and go find the guy with a pitcher of water and on his head and, and set up the upper room it was the inner three that were that were set apart in the garden of gethsemane that jesus set apart so that that's the introduction to first john as the author the author and who the author was First John itself, a couple things, and then we are going to be done. We're going to uh, receive communion together this morning, and cl- during our closing song, we'll, we'll make it fast. But we um, really quickly to introduce the book of First John. Now you can turn there to First John. We'll read a couple verses, so I don't get in too much trouble. In First John. This fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Christ, with His Son Jesus Christ. John says in verse number two, it says. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen, heard, we declare to you that also you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the, the, the emphasis that John is making as a friend is that we should have fellowship with Jesus. And then, and then our fellowship with the Father, and that is with Jesus Christ. This word fellowship is this real fancy Greek word, koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. koinonia. Even like some ministries, isn't Chuck Missler's ministry called koinonia? koinonia house. This word fellowship or koinonia, this fancy Greek word, it means to partnership with, communion. It it carries the idea of intimacy, to be one with. As we studied last week, the idea of abide or abiding in. And as we abide, we remain in, to be at home with. And so this fellowship, this koinonia fellowship that, that, that God wants is this intimacy that's there. John experienced this relationship and he wants us to know it. Last thing. This is, this is another area where um, four reasons. These are just four that I'm going to highlight. We're going to read them real quick. Talk about them briefly. These are the things I write to you that your joy may be full. You're going to see this statement as you read. You're going to read how many times are you guys are going to read First John this week? Five. Five times. And in that, you're going to run into this term, these things we write to you. Look at verse number four. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Okay? So that's one of the, the reasons that John's going to write, so that your joy may be full. I, I was looking, and I was trying to find a biblical example of joy. And, and you know what's interesting is there's not too many places where you, you get, like, in a nutshell, that, that there was this, this joy that, that Jesus experienced, but you do have one in, in Luke chapter 10. And it says, "...the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject in your name." And he has said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you're going to heaven. So Jesus sends out these 70... And these guys come back. Now, this is middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. And these guys come back and they're pumped. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, we cast out demons. Devils obeyed us. We put hands on people. We prayed for them and God healed them. We preached and people got saved. They were pumped. And how did Jesus react to that in verse 21? It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. And that does not even do it justice. Jesus was exceedingly glad. He was so excited about the fact that these guys were pumped about their relationship with him. That these guys were pumped about their service for him and to him. And what brought them joy? John says, I write that that your joy may be full. And where do we see joy in the life of the believers? When they're going out and being used by God. And and we're looking for joy in all the wrong places, I want to tell you that. The joy is found in the service to the Lord. The joy is found in the things that we do for the Lord and unto the Lord is where we find true joy. And Jesus rejoiced at it. He says in, in verse, chapter 2, verse 1 of John, he says, These things we write that you may not sin. What? Somebody say, what? How is that even possible? We, we know that we're prone to sin. We have a sin nature. But, but John does say, and the Word says, David says, how may a young man cleanse his way? How, how can a young man who's struggling with sin be cleansed of that sin? And then David gives us the answer. By taking heed according to Your Word. How may a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to Your Word, O Lord? Your Word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And so it's the word of God and in this word and I tell you you put the word of God in your life And you get up in the morning and you focus on the word and and connecting in a relationship with jesus Certain sins and certain tendencies in your life are going to take care of themselves And john says we write so that in this Love and this relationship that i'm commanding that i'm calling that i'm telling you is so awesome That you might not sin in verse 26. He says i'm writing that you be not deceived we're going to talk about that next week in the deception of John's day that was going on. And then in chapter 5, and verse 13, he says that you know that you have eternal life. 5.13. Whose Bible's still open? I already closed mine. 5.13. Let, let's look at that together. I'm going to reopen mine. 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering And Let him pray. That's in James. Hey. Five thirteen. these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have what Eternal eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of god you know you know one of the things you guys that separates us from all the isms and the schisms and the cults really that are out there is this little concept right here that is there nobody in the sound booth probably put that back up um just put it back on the slide. It's fine. This idea that John says, you know that you're saved. You know, I've had the unfortunate occasion of being at the deathbed of, of and, and I'm going to pick on one specific, but this is just something that's real, that's experienced for me. But I've been at the deathbed of a Jehovah Witness when they were dying. And Jehovah Witnesses believe that, that, I don't know all they believe, I'm not, I'm not their theologian, but basically that you, you work for your salvation. You earn it to be considered worthy enough to go to heaven. And you have to do so much. And, and as I'm there at the deathbed of this person, there's no peace, peace because there's a fear of not knowing if they did enough to please God to enter entrance into heaven. I was there at many times when Christians die, and it's so different. Never forget watching Lydia's mom go home to be with the Lord. And the day she died, and the Lord just worked it out that we were all there with her and watched her go home to be be with the Lord. And the difference between that experience and the Jehovah Witness who I watched die. And there was just such joy and peace because she had assurance of salvation. She knew that she knew that she knew she was going to heaven. And as John says here, I write so that you know... That 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 you have eternity so that you know that you have eternal life and as a christian person I want to tell you we don't have to doubt eternal life All you have to do the work of god. What is the work of god that you have to do to earn salvation? They asked jesus that exact question What is the work that we have to do the work of the father and jesus said the work of god is to believe on the son in whom he sent so just believe receive by faith that, that you're saved, that you're born again, and then know that you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life because you received it by faith. And John says, I write to you so that you will know, so that I will help you solidify this in your heart, in your mind, that you are saved and have, have life everlasting. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's have the worship team come up. Um, Let's have the ushers come forward And and start serving the communion I'm going to share And you guys, I'm sorry We're we're going to be done here in just five minutes Okay, This last song, we'll be out of here um, 1230 So As the ushers pass the bread We'll just have you hang on to it We'll pray together And then as we sing the last song We'll receive the communion together I I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning To know that you know that you know that you're saved And, And if you're not sure and you know, that's something that, that we doubt. You know, one of the things we got to believe is because God said it, it's true. And just receive it by faith. And so if you are in here this morning, and and maybe you fancy yourself a Christ follower or a Christian, but this idea of salvation is maybe because of experience or past, it's it's always kind of an unsure. I want you to decide in your heart this morning that you're going to receive the Lord. And that if you've received the Lord, Jesus said it, and it, you can just believe in it believe that it's the lord so i want to give you an opportunity this morning we're going to pray and, and and if you want to get your heart right and life right with jesus just just talk to god this morning just pray in your heart they're going to pass this bread toby can i have one please I'll get it right here. today's today's theme was friendship with god and today's theme was communion and um, fellowship, koinonia. Something we do as a family of believers, and we just happen to do it here once a month, the first Sunday of every month, is we receive communion together. Communion is a time of, of intimacy. It's a time of, of remembering the Lord's body and His blood that was shed for us something that we do as a family of believers and 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 the heart of it from from jesus from from paul from the word of god from god is that it's a time where we have open communication with the lord jesus said specifically concerning communion that that when you do it do it in remembrance of me i often take this bread and i i break it in my hand before i take it because it it reminds me that that jesus body was broken for me And then as we take the cup, it's a reminder. It's a picture of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, as we receive communion this morning, we want to just leave this last song as we pray for you guys to have some time personally in here to commune, to fellowship with God. If you have something in your life that you want to get rid of, that you want to change, now's the time to do it. Now's the time before the Lord to get your life, your heart right with the Lord. You got one song to do it, so get her done so let's pray together worship team's going to play as as we sing this last song the the cup will pass when the cup passes i just encourage you to to receive communion place the empty cup back in the tray if you'd like to stand for the last song as after you're done receiving communion you can if you want to just stay in your seat and and spend a little time communing with the lord getting something right in your life with the lord between you and god if you want um prayer We'll be up front, pastors will be up front to pray for you if anybody would like or need individual prayer. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you so much for this bread which we all hold in our hands. Lord, this bread which represents your body that was broken for us. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. i going to pray for the cup. Lord, as as we receive this this cup, which represents your blood that was shed for us, Lord, we do this also in remembrance of you and in fellowship and communion. We thank you, Jesus, that you want to be our friend. And Lord, that you've called us friends and that you desire fellowship and communion with us. Lord, the, the cup represents your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, if there's anybody in here this morning that just wants and needs forgiveness of sins, that God, as they seek you during this song, that you would touch and change their lives, that you would redirect us all as you re- redirected John. And Lord, we 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 thank you, and Lord, we praise you, and we take now this cup in Jesus' name, Amen.